spend time with God. I will spend time with God every day, every day, every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. Uh, I want to talk specifically uh, about an idea that is really, that is a big deal to, to me and to us, and kind of the reason that I think we're even talking about this. Uh, if, if you have your Bible, or taking notes, and jot, jot this down, Acts 13, 36. It's one of, the, one of the famous verses around here. It says, For when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. When David had served God's purposes in his own generation... We have, a, we, we have a common phrase that we use around here. If, you're, if you stick around for too long, you'll get to know this phrase. Uh, and, and that's the phrase, uh, own it. We say, own it. If, if you're ever given something and we want you to run with it, we say, just own it. Just, you know, if you're a prayer leader, I, I look at, I'll look at Matt Timmermeyer. Matt, own Monday nights, you know. Joel Newby, just own Saturdays. It's yours, just own it. And so we, uh, we kind of have that phrase. And, and, and what that means when we say own it is that we want you to take charge, we want you to believe it, we want you to lead it, we want you to, to, find, to, to, to own it, we want you to, to take responsibility. And, and if, that, if, that is, if it's successful, great job. If it's not successful, that's, that, that's on you. I mean, we want you to get your fingerprints on it, we want you to own it. Uh, if I was to title tonight's talk, I would title it, Own It. Own It. I, I, what, as I was thinking through this series, this idea of my generation... Uh, really the idea that behind what we're talking about is for you to own it. It's for you to look out, see a generation, and see that they need God and own it. And see, see their, their need and say, I'm going to do something about it. Ultimately, as, as we come out here and as we do, uh, as we have these gatherings and prayer meetings and classes or whatever, uh, what is the purpose? I think that if the purpose is simply for you, it's not big enough. Um, if everything, even as we start this semester, it's kind of strange for us to start this semester continually talking about other people. It seems like we should continually talk about you at the beginning and then later talk about other people. But the truth is, it's kind of our mentality from the beginning when we started this sucker. The reason that we started getting together is because we wanted to see God do something in other people. We wanted to see God do something in our generation. And so that's why this whole thing exists. The truth is, is that if, if everything is aimed towards you, then we quickly develop consumer Christianity. We quickly develop this idea that it's all about me, and so when I show up, I hope I like the music. I hope the room temperature fits my desire. I hope that the, the videos are cool. I hope that every, you know, the, the time better fit my schedule. And, and, and it quickly becomes about me, 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 me. And we have this consumer Christianity. And, uh, and one of the big things, as you're here, as you're part of, of the furnace, as you're part of DLA, this ultimately I, I, is not about you. And that's strange for me to say. But the truth is, is that the only reason that you are here is because somebody before you realized that it wasn't about them. 
Somebody before you said, I want my generation, I want those people to come to know Jesus. I want them to experience him. And so they spent hours in this room praying, or they went to schools, or they, they spoke, or whatever. They, 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 they called their youth pastor, and for some reason, maybe it was your youth pastor, maybe it was, maybe it was your pastor, but someone said, this isn't just about me, and that's why you're here. And so as we're starting this thing, what I want you to realize, what, what I'm hoping is that you start to see, is, is this whole my generation, are we talking about this uh, just because we want you to have a greater involvement in tag? That's not the only reason, no. That is part of it. As, as we take on this new, this new wave, this new ownership with tag, that is something that's important to us. But that's not simply the reason. The reason is because I hope that you expand your paradigm to, to live a life, it's kind of the, the common phrase we say, that a lot of people say, of living for something greater than yourself. You want to live for something bigger than you. And so that's what we're talking about, and, uh, and that's what our hope is. Our hope is that as you spend, now, now, now don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. As you spend time in prayer, as you spend time in, the, in, your, in your groups, as you spend time talking about Jesus, as you spend time spending, uh, having your God time, you will be changed. God will work in your heart. So, so I'm not saying to the absence of, of activity in your life, but ultimately this isn't about just you. Does that make sense? And so I, I hope that that through the course of the next few months, your vision gets expanded and that you actually begin to feel ownership over your job, ownership over the people that you work with, ownership over the people you go to school with, ownership over the people, your family, ownership over your friends, ownership over this generation. And, and you begin to take on the, the mantle, the, the understanding that they need Jesus and, you know, I'm going to go see that they get it. It's kind of like, you know, in uh, one of my favorite movies, Braveheart, when he gives the rally speech, you know, and he's, and he's kind of like, you know, I'm William Wallace, what did you expect? And gives that whole speech, and you know, for freedom, and on that day, will you not have one chance? You know, that whole thing. And then his buddies come around him, and they're like, now what? He's like, I'm going to pick a fight. You know, that kind of, I mean, the, the battle hadn't even been started. He's going to pick that fight. My hope is that each one of us in us we look, at, we look at what's happening in our day, in our generation, and we say, you know what, I'm going to go pick a fight. I'm going to go make sure. I want to not just rally the troops to excitement, but I'm going to actually follow through and see that there's something changed, something different. So I believe that you will be changed by being here. I believe that this is going to be something that, that God works in you. But it's not all just about you. And ultimately, our prayer is that we become the answers to our prayers. And so as we pray for God to move, my prayer is that God begins to, as, as you begin to pray for nations, my prayer is that God places a nation in your heart and then you go to that nation. As you, as you begin to pray for the people at your work, my prayer is that you begin to pray for them and then you desire to actually talk to them and, and tell them about Jesus and tell them your story. So our prayer is that we actually become the answer to our own prayers, that, that God uses us for that reason. But when I look out, and I look at our generation, I look at, and, and again, as, as David said last week, when, when we say this generation, uh, it is, we're, we're speaking of everyone alive on planet Earth today. And so as we say that, I want you to know that as we talk, and our bent in, in terms of what we do is towards teenagers. 
If you feel cold to the elderly, that's great. I, I want to, they're, they're part of your generation. And so I don't want to belittle that. If you feel called to, to children's ministry, that's great. That, I'm not, we're not saying, but, but our bent is going to be to talk about the people your age, slightly older and slightly younger. And here's why. It's not just because that's kind of our target. The truth is, is that you're, you are the people that we see with the greatest possibility to make an impact. And the people that you will most likely have the ability to impact are those your age and a, and a few years younger than you. Um, if, if you try to make an impact on, a, on, on people 20 and 30 years older than you, uh, through the Holy Spirit, no doubt you can. But oftentimes, they, they feel like, who is this young punk trying to tell me what to do? You know, if you're trying to make an impact on two and three and four-year-olds, no doubt you can. But oftentimes, that is a parent's job. That's what parents are going to do. But the people that are looking to you without you even knowing it are the people your age and a few years younger. And so that's why we mostly are going to talk about that age range. So that's not to say that, that that's the only people we're going to have an impact on. But the people that, that you don't even have to try, you're going to impact without even trying, is that age. So that's why we're talking about that. And uh, I just want to, I just kind of want a, a little bit of a reality check. You've all probably heard some of these. But I just want to read some, some stats at where we're at today. Where we're at today... Uh, I, I got most of these, uh, you can go to, I, I think someone who's do, doing a really good job at this is Ron Luce and Teen Mania. And so, uh, so you can go and, and, and find some of these there. Um, 15% of all teenagers have seriously considered suicide. 15%. One out of 10 15-year-olds and younger have gone through family divorce in their lifetime. And I'm sure that that number is only growing. Uh, as many as 40%, as many as 40% of teenagers experiment with self-injury. 40% do cutting or something of that nature. 40%. Uh, by the time that the average child graduates high school, he or she will have watched 19,000 hours of TV, including 200,000 sexual acts and 1 million acts of violence. One in ten high school females have reported being raped at some point in their life. Forty-eight percent of high school seniors say that they are sexually active. Here's some interesting ones. Ninety-one percent of teenagers say that, that they don't believe that there's anything, that there is no absolute truth. Ninety-one percent say no such thing as absolute truth. Seventy-five percent of teens say that the central message in the Bible is that God helps those who help themselves. 75%. 53 believe that Jesus probably sinned. Of born-again believers, teenagers, born-again believers, 40% think probably Jesus sinned at some point. We're kind of at a time that there's a lot going on. And listen, I'm not here to paint the picture as if this is the worst time that the world has ever seen. Most people are probably going to tell you that. Most people, th there has never been a dar as dark of hour as we're in right now. That, that, that is the prominent message of the day. I don't know if that's true. As I read the Bible, there were some pretty dark hours thousands of years ago. There's been some pretty dark hours throughout history. But here's what I do know. We are living in a dark hour. So I'm not going to say it's the worst it's ever been. But it's pretty bad. Teenagers today, their life 
is dominated by fear. Their, their life is dominated by what, what uh, entertainment tells them to be. I heard, I heard a statistic this week that teenagers, if they're not at school, they're spending up to 10 hours a day online. 10 hours a day. I don't know what they're doing. You know, World of Warcraft, Facebook, tweeting. I don't know. That's a lot of time. I don't know how they have time to say, do things like eat. Yeah, Mountain Dew and Skittles. So I just, want, I, I just felt like as we get started tonight, the, the reason that I wanted to read that the reason I wanted to go through some of those is not to depress us, but to kind of say, yeah, there is a need today. I want to read Leonard Ravenhill. I love this. Leonard Ravenhill says, Could a mariner sit idle if he heard a drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle, let men burn and give no hand? Can you sit at ease with the, when the world around you is damned? As Christians, as believers, I'm not saying that because it's pretty. But you know what the truth is? Is if this, if if your house was burning down, and you lived, you know, next door to a fireman, and he was reclined watching TV, and wasn't helping, you would probably think he was a punk. You know, at least at the very minimum, you would be like, "Hey, jerk," you know, maybe call your friends, come help. You know, I mean, maybe if a mariner, you know, like if you're out at the ocean, uh, I was talking to one of our guys uh, that that uh, is working with the Coast Guard up in Washington now, and uh, he did he did DI a few years back, and uh, he's now working with the Coast Guard, and and he said he he's pulled people out of the water. He, he's actually, he, he said, you know, the days are long and sometimes they're hard, but the fact that I know that there's three people on this earth that wouldn't be if I wasn't doing what I'm doing is a pretty big deal. If he hadn't done that, if he had just s- sat there on the boat and watched them drown, that's probably, he's not doing his job. We would say he's not doing a good job at what he's supposed to do. Friends, if we just sit up in North Colorado Springs in our comfortable house, with our big prayer center, and we're not actually burdened for the loss, if we're not actually burdened for God to move, then we are equal to that. And so I'm not telling you, um, this, isn't, this isn't the guilt into go tell people about Jesus. This is the, I just want you to see the importance of us actually taking ownership of seeing the gospel advanced. The, the importance of us believing that God works and that he heals and that he moves. Because if we believe it, then we'll act on it. If we believe it, then we'll live like it. The reason I think it's important for us to feel ownership is because when you feel ownership, you, you have vision. When you have ownership of something, you have purpose for it. You have vision for it. You take responsibility. Ultimately, you lead. Ultimately, you, you, you don't sit back and let things happen, you want to be aggressive, take action. I think someone who really got this was the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, was obviously one of the most important figures uh, in Christianity. He, he was one of the, you know, I mean, you could say he was one of, if not the most important early church leaders. I mean, he was taking the gospel to the Gentiles, and, and, uh, and he lived a full life. I mean, a very full life. He, he, he was a missionary, and uh, taking the gospel all over the place. 
But at the end of his life, he, he, he knew that this wasn't all about him. See, Paul didn't live simply for his vision. Paul, wasn't like, Paul didn't say, God, what is your mission for my life? And then once his life was over, he was like, sweet, I did it, and now it's done. Paul actually had vision for beyond himself. Paul had vision for longer than he was actually alive. I believe it's because Paul believed in the mission. Paul believed, he, as I would say, it's not, he had ownership of this idea. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. This is uh, Paul writing to Timothy. And uh, this is essentially Paul passing the baton. Paul is at the end of his life. Uh, and uh, and, and he's, he's, he's sick, he's, he's old, he knows that he's, he's nearing the end. So he says this to Timothy, he says, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will, who will also be qualified to teach others. See, Paul had vision. Paul knew that, that he needed someone to, to come after him. He knew he needed someone to take up the, the torch and, and keep leading. He knew that it couldn't die with him. He didn't want it to. It wasn't enough that he, it wasn't enough for him to say, I did what I was supposed to do, sweet. Paul was saying, no, this needs to keep going. So he told Timothy, the things I've taught you, make sure to teach others and teach the ones that can teach others. He, Paul, Paul understood compounding interest. <laughs> you know, he wanted, he said, teach others and make sure that they can teach even more. Paul had vision for, for the gospel to continue to expand. A few years ago, uh, we were up at Furnace Retreat, and uh, the guys, we were, are dumb. Guys are dumb sometimes. And, uh, and so guys will randomly create competitions, like, for no reason. Uh, really, if there's any possibility to have a competition. If, I mean, if, if, if competition is possible, it will happen. And not all guys, but, but many. And so we were up at, at retreat, and there was a swimming pool at this retreat. And uh, so we decided to get all of the guys together in, in the pool area and have accountability group races uh, where we put, wh- what we did, we found like the raft floaty things, you know, that float in a pool. And uh, are, they're like three feet by five feet or something like that. And, uh, and so what we would do is we had the whole group get on the raft and then one dude would, 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 would pull it as he swam down to the other end of the pool and back. And, uh, and then once he had done that, he would pass on, he would get up on, the other guy would jump off. Usually everybody would fall off and have to get back on somehow. And then, and then you do it again. And we just did, we, we just doing this relay. Anybody ever been a part of a relay race? You guys know how it works. I don't have to explain how it works. And, uh, and so, so that, that was what we were going to do. And, uh, and so, we, not what we were going to do, that's what we did. And uh, this wasn't, I, I mean, it wasn't the dumbest thing in the world, uh, but it was a pretty big pool. And there was like carrying five dudes on this raft, and this pool was massively overchlorinated. And so, like, we would be swimming, and, and you would just see guys. They would just, I mean, they would get down, and they'd start swimming back. And they were just like, ah. You ever, ever gotten tired swimming? I mean, when you're running, okay, when you're running and, and uh, you get tired, it's lame. You get cramps. You're like, oh, you know, it's bad. And then what do you do? You normally, you know, you stop, and you're like, oh, give me some water. You know, when you're swimming and you're in water, you can't stop because you'll drown. And so you have to keep going. 
And then the comp- competitiveness in you rises up, and you're pulling these guys, and you have to keep pulling them. And so these guys were literally dying as they were swimming through this pool. And, 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 and it, was, it, was, it was really sad, because not only could they not breathe, because they were in water, and then they were tired, but their eyes were not just bloodshot. I mean, this chlorine was... It, they were puffy red, like it looked like, like the size of pancakes on both sides of their face, just redness, because you're pulling, and, and you can't close your eyes, and, and mind you, remember, you're swimming with one arm, and so then you switch into the other arm, I mean, this was quite the workout, and as you're getting to the end, I remember, believe me, I was there, I remember this moment, you are tired, you're, you're, you're it's a paradox, because you're thirsty, yet you're in water, you know, <laughs> And, and then your eyes are, are bleeding, you know, and all this stuff. And you can see the end. And that moment when you're, you just want to be done, that's where Paul was. That's, Paul was right at the end of the pool. His eyes were bleeding. He was tired. He just wanted to be done. And he reached up. And the glorious moment of tagging the next person. That's where Paul was. This is, this is Paul passing on the raft to Timothy. Paul is saying, I've done it. I'm coming to the end. And, and, and listen, I don't know if you've read much about Paul, but Paul, his life was not easy. And, and, and as he was coming to the end, he was looking for who can continue, who can carry this on. So Paul looked to Timothy. And, uh, and, and, and so as he's writing to him, He looks at him and he says, here are the things that you need if you're going to take this. If you're going to lead, if you're going to own this, let me give you some simple ideas of what you need to be, how you need to live. And so tonight, as as I want to talk about the idea of of owning uh, our generation, of of taking out and believing that God wants to move and and, and actually owning it, I want to give you, I want to talk about what Paul said to Timothy as things to implement into his life so that we can implement them into ours. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. I'm going to read 3 through 6. He says this. He says, Timothy, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, He does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Paul gives three different pictures of how Timothy is to live. A picture of a soldier, a picture of an athlete, and a picture of a farmer. These are actually common themes in Paul's life. This wasn't just his, uh, this wasn't just like what he was saying to Timothy at the end where he was passing it on and saying, hey, this is what I've come up with. This was, these were themes throughout. If you read Timothy, like 1 Corinthians 9, you'll find these three, these three themes again there. And, and uh, so this was common to his ministry. But the first thing he says is endure hardship with us like a good soldier of, of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officers. So as we read that, I want to just talk about some of the qualities of a good soldier. What are, what are the qualities of a good soldier? What is, Paul, what is Paul saying to Timothy here? He says very clearly the first thing under, under being a good soldier is avoid civilian affairs. See, a good soldier will remain singularly focused. 
Paul uses the soldier analogy a lot in his writings. A lot of times he will call people, uh, you know, brothers in the fight or, or fellow soldier. And, uh, and the idea here, uh, a soldier doesn't get caught up in the, in the ongoings of everyday life. The Roman code, this is obviously in, in the time where Paul would have been saying this. The Roman co- code said, we forbid men engaged in military service to engage in civilian occupations. We forbid people, men engaged in military service to engage in civilian occupations. I'll say it like this. Spartans, what is your profession? Oh, come on! What is your profession? There it is. 300. King Leonidas. You know, he's talking to the Greeks and they're all doing their thing. And what's your profession? Oh, I'm a carpenter, you know, whatever. And he's like, what is your, Spartans, what is your profession? And they just grunt. And that means we kill people, you know. (laughs) The idea was that these guys, they, they didn't take time to do what everybody else was doing. They were singularly focused. What Paul was telling Timothy here, he was not saying, Timothy, don't get a job. So none of you take it as that. He wasn't saying, Timothy, don't get a job. He was saying, Timothy, stay singularly focused. Stay focused on the end goal. Don't stop. Don't don't get involved in everything else. Don't get involved in civilian affairs. I, I think for us, it's really easy to get involved in some civilian affairs. I, I think it's, it's really, and, and so I'm not going to, tonight, this is not a talk in terms of like, I'm not going to say, you know, don't do anything that anybody else does. Don't listen to music, don't watch TV, don't, don't those things. I'm, that's not what this is saying. But what I am saying is that as believers, as leaders, we need to not get so caught up in what this world has to offer that we lose focus of the end goal. We need to not fall so in love with this world that we actually fall out of love with the one that we belong to. Paul, uh, uh, Peter says, says uh, in 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. As aliens and strangers. I want to, this may not be the nicest thing anybody's ever said to you, but I want to remind you tonight, you're an alien. You're a stranger. You don't belong here. By the mere fact of signing up, saying yes to Jesus, you've said, my my residency is no longer on planet Earth, but I live for the kingdom of God. And so what I want to encourage you tonight, I'm not going to give you a list of what it means to avoid civilian affairs. I'm not going to give you a list of what it means to not get involved. But I do encourage you, you ask Jesus, what does that mean for me? God, in my life, what are the things that easily entangle me? What are the things that I easily get distracted with? I want to remain singularly focused like a good soldier. The other thing Paul, uh, that he says here is he says, endure hardship with us. Endure hardship with us. I want to I read to you real fast. Who's saying this? This is Paul. Let me just read 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 26. Paul speaking to Timothy. No, earlier when he says endure hardship. 2 Corinthians, five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. 
I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of, of my concerns for all of the churches. Who is weak? And do I not feel weak? Who is led into sin? And do I not inwardly burn? As Paul says to Timothy, endure hardship with us. I want you to hear who's saying that. Paul got jacked up. I mean, who spends a night and a day in the ocean? Uh, nobody. I mean, Paul and Captain Jack, you know, like that's it. Like nobody else. Can you imagine just hanging out in the ocean? I mean, like, that's freaky. I, I've been in the ocean, and I like the ocean. I love the ocean. You know my favorite thing about the ocean? The beach. I love the beach. And you know, I like it when I can touch. Have you ever, like, been out in a boat in the ocean and jumped in? And then all of a sudden you realize, there's sharks in here. This may be a really big swimming pool, but in the swimming pool, whales swallow Jonah. You know? And you just start to realize these things. Paul, he's just hanging out day and night, you know? No big deal. Beaten with rods. Whipped 39 times. I mean, this guy knew hardship. And so when he said to Timothy, endure hardship, he wasn't saying it like, hey, in case anything happens, I don't think it will, but just in case, endure. Paul was saying, bro, you're going to get beaten and deal with it. Endure it. Jesus said it too. Jesus in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, here it is again, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Again, you do not belong to this world. So endure hardships. I don't say this to like be, you know, Debbie Downer up here. But the truth is, is Jesus said, blessed are you. Blessed are you when people persecute you and mock you because of me. From the same way they treated the prophets. So I'm not here saying tonight that, that in this role of, of taking ownership, of taking leadership, that it's going to be easy. I want to challenge you to when it gets tough, endure it. Fight through. Press on. Second, the second picture that Paul gives is that of an athlete. And uh, he says in verse 5, Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. I really like Paul. Paul talks a lot about sports, which means he liked them. I can, you know, Paul probably went to the Olympics or something. And, uh, and so I, I like that. And uh, when you start thinking what he's telling Timothy when he says to, to be like an athlete, when you start thinking about that, what are the qualities of an athlete? What, is, what makes up an athlete? And I think one of the main ones is, uh, is you have to be disciplined. Um, Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Everyone who goes in, goes in, they, they, they train strictly. 
One of the things that you have to do if you're an athlete is, is you have to be disciplined. You have, to, you have to get up earlier than you want to get up. You have to run more than you want to run. How many of you in here ever played like high school sports? Anybody? Okay, how many of you played like, we'll start junior high. Junior high, anybody, anybody? Yeah, good. How many played kickball? Anybody? Okay. Uh, I played kickball. That was the best. Uh, you know, I remember like, my, the thing I hated was uh, running laps and lines. I hated that. You know, because never in a basketball game have I ever run to the volleyball line and then back to the baseline and then to the half court line and then back and then back to the free throw line and then back and then to the baseline and back again. I never did that in a game. So I was like, why do I have to do this here? I remember when I was uh, a junior in high school, I went out for the basketball team. I had recently moved to Seattle and I purposely went to the small Christian school because I wanted to play basketball. And, uh, and so I was, we, were, we were having tryouts and it was the first day and uh, school, it, it was like, it was about... 45 minutes after school before tryouts began. And so I, just the way I was, I didn't, I wasn't down with bringing a lunch to school. Uh, that was like not cool. And so like I didn't. Uh, but when I went to this small Christian school, they didn't have a cafeteria. And so I had this internal struggle. Do I eat or do I be cool? Everybody else brought their lunch. I don't know why I thought it was uncool to bring a lunch. But I didn't bring my lunch. And so I hadn't eaten that day. And because uh, I was Mr. Cool at lunch, not eating the sack lunch. And, uh, and so school was over, and I was like, man, I got to have some energy. I got I to gotta, I gotta get some food in me before tryouts. And so I went down to 7-Eleven. And uh, I didn't know a lot about nutrition at this time. I still don't know a lot about nutrition, but I know a little bit more. And I got some things. Just give me a little boost. Uh, I got a V8 Splash. And some nibs, you know, like the licorice little, the little licorice pieces. And uh, I downed them, and I felt good. I was like, I got some energy. I got some sugar in me. I got some vegetables and fruit all up in there, and uh, and I feel good. And so we got there, and I was like, man, I'm ready for tryouts. Let's do this. And the coach was like, okay, hey, great, everybody, go ahead and run around the track. You know, you're gonna run two miles. And I was like, run. I'm here to play. You need to see my skills. This is not track. And, uh, but he made us run. And so I made one lap, and I was good. And then two laps, and I was okay. And then came that third lap. And then came my licorice. <laughs> in an orangey liquid V8 splash. But I was trying to impress my coach, you know? So I just kept running. And so I was like, you know? So whoever was behind me, bad day. But I just kept going, you know, and, and the dude behind me is like, oh, man, you know. I learned that day that uh, I was not as disciplined as I needed to be. When you look at athletes, one of the things that I think Paul is trying to say is we need to be disciplined. So how does that apply to us? You know what? I, I think there's some really simple disciplines that we need to start doing in our lives. I think obviously one of the ones that we're trying to help you get in a routine of is spending time with God every day getting in a routine of reading your Bible and praying. You know what some others are? I think it's really important that we learn to get up on time. Man, I'll tell you what. I have been around your college-age students long enough to know that alarm clocks are the enemy. And getting up is the worst thing in the world. And you know what I think a big part of getting up on time is? Going to bed on time. Imagine that. Imagine that. 
So I think, I think as we're talking about being disciplined, I think something to, to begin implementing, it or decide a time to go to bed. Decide a time you want to get up. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what that is. I, I know different people need different hours of sleep. If you're, you know, some people need six hours. My wife needs 14, you know. I, I'm just joking. But different people need different amounts of sleep. And, uh, and so I'm not telling you what time to go to bed. What? I'm, it's true. It's like 8.30. She's like, just joking. Okay, giggle, giggle, giggle. Are we good? Is everybody okay with me saying I have a wife? Okay, good. Get to bed on time. Get up on time. Here's another one. You ready for another one? Pay your bills. Pay your bills. Here, how about this? Pay your phone bill. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever not paid your phone bill? It's no good. Pay your phone bill. These are, I, I think that these are little things, but I think it's these little disciplines that will help us in the bigger disciplines. It's, it's getting the little things that, where if we can get those things under control. Now listen, I know some of you are saying, it's, I, it's hard for me to pay my bills if I don't have a job. Well, get a job. You know, and then you're like, well, it's hard for me to keep a job. Get up on time, you know? And uh, so do the little things well. Get, uh, Paul was saying to Timothy, be disciplined. Be disciplined. I think, I think that's one of the most important things, or it's, it's one of the things for us to do is to be disciplined. The other thing uh, that, he, that, the, that he talks about is following the rules. It's following the rules. So scholars kind of have different views on what, what Paul is meaning by that. I'm just going to tell you what I think real simple. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. I think one of the most, one of the really important things for us to do, let's find out what Jesus said and do it. Let's be the kind of people that follow the rules of Christianity. And what are those? Uh, that is relationship with Jesus and doing what he said to do. That is showing our love through our obedience. And the last thing that Paul talked about is he says, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. The hardworking farmer. That's a weird one. Farmer. What is that? I mean, we're talking about soldiers, you know, that's cool. We're talking about, we're talking about athletes, you know, that's cool. Farmer, Paul, that's not quite so cool as the other ones. You know, I can imagine Timothy is like, yeah, I'm going to be like a soldier. Hold on, wait for it, wait for it. You know, I'm going to be like a soldier, you know, or he's like, oh, I'm going to be an athlete. A farmer? You know, listen, I really enjoy, uh, I really enjoy going to, to sports games. Like, I'm a big fan of the Nuggets. I like going to the, to the Nuggets games. And, uh, yeah, Nico. And, uh, and so, like, I've gone to, to Nuggets games before, and, uh, and I cheer for the athletes. I do. I'm a grown man. I'll admit it. You know, there's other grown men playing a sport, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like a little kid. And uh, they dunk the basketball, and I'm like, whoa. You know, I cheer for them. And there's been times at these games where some, someone from the military is there, and so we honor them, and we stand up, and we, we clap, and we, and we cheer for them. And uh, one of the big things I like to do is I like the really healthy food at these games. So I like to get the chili cheese fries. And uh, do you know I've never stopped and said, man, I'm so grateful for the farmer that harvested these potatoes. You know, like, how often do we give farmers standing ovations? Yep. Way to go. Way to go. I, man, I'm so glad we... You know, when you eat a good hamburger, are you like, dude, this farmer raised this cow well. Man, I mean, this is good. But Paul says to Timothy, be like a farmer. Let me tell you some things about farmers. 
I think first off, one of the things that I want us to think about tonight is humility. When he says be like a farmer, I think that's the point. Because sometimes athletes get, get the applause. Soldiers get the applause. I think Paul was saying, don't do this for the applause. Don't do this for other people to look at you and say, oh, man, I want to be like that. I want to be, I want to, you know, I really want to make a difference. I, I, when I was in high school, my big thing, I was, I told my youth pastor, man, I want to change the world. That was what I wanted to do. And, uh, and I remember, like, I've told you this before. He wrote in, a, in my graduation, like, book he gave me, you know, I'll be praying for you as you change the world. And you put it in quotations. I was so mad. Like, he was like, as you change the world, you know, like, but that's what I wanted because I saw people and I wanted to be like them. I saw, I, I, I kind of almost to the point of idolizing authors and speakers and worship leaders and, and kind of Christian, you know, just this Christian bubble that we live in and our subculture that we create. Listen, don't do it for the applause of men. Don't do it because you see somebody else and you're like, man, other people, man, they're, they're doing so, they're so cool. I want to be like them. Therefore, I want to reach my generation. I want to be like them. Therefore, I want to be a missionary. No, 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 no. Don't do it for the applause of other people. Do it because that's what Jesus called you to do. I think as, as Paul is talking about a farmer, first thing is humility. It's, it's going out and, and being humble. Philippians 2, 3. Oh, man. I'll have to look it up in my real Bible. Hold on. Philippians 2, 3, if you have it. Can we get it up there? No. I'm not even going to read it. Philippians 2, 3. Look it up later. It's about humility. It's a good verse. Uh let me tell you, as, as, as we talk about humility, I think there's some important ideas with humility. Number one, I think it's being the kind of people that repent often. If you're going to be someone that's humble, you know Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself and that we're to be like him. If you're someone who's humble, I think you need to repent often. Number one, that's repenting to the Lord. Number one, that's knowing our weakness, knowing where we fail and repenting to God. Number two, though, I think that's repenting to each other. Being quick to, to repent if you've wronged someone. Being quick to go and say, hey, look, I'm sorry, uh, and, and not viewing yourself as, as too good, and, and you know what, they, they should deal with it. I know I upset them, but whatever. Be quick to repent. Secondly, in, in being humble, is to worship always. Be a worshiper. One of the great things about worship is it expands your view of God, which will cause you to realize how small we are. If you feel like pride is something that you really struggle with, start worshiping. And start not just singing the songs. I'm not just talking about getting a new, a new worship album, putting it in your car and singing along. I mean, really worshiping God. That's a quick way to, to begin to become more humble as you begin to see how great He is. The other way I think in, in, in this idea of leading our generation of owning the, uh, seeing them come to Jesus and being humble is to look for ways to serve. Look for ways to go low. Look for ways to, to serve without other people seeing it. Look for ways to, 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 to help other people. Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve. If Jesus, if God became man for the purpose of serving other people, I mean, if anybody ever had the right to be like, hey, Peter, wash my feet. You know, hey, John, go get me some bread. You would think it was the person that created them. But it says that he came not to be served, but to serve. So I want to encourage you, start looking for ways to serve other people. 
And not for, again, not for the applause. Not because you want to be viewed as someone who serves other people. But because that's what we're supposed to do. A couple other things in the idea of a farmer is that farmers are hard workers. Farmers get up way earlier than I do. And they work until the sun goes down. They work a long time. They're hardworking. And it's a thankless job. We need to be hardworking. You know another thing that they do? They're patient. They're patient because they have to plant seed and then wait. They don't, they don't plant seed, they don't sow, and then the next day walk out and be like, ooh, a harvest. They have to be patient. I think we need to be patient with people. The people that you work with, that you want to see come to Jesus, be patient with them. Don't, don't think because you, you like told them you were a Christian today that tomorrow they're going to be like, fall down in repentance in the middle of work and be like, oh, I'm a sinner. You know, like, don't think that just because, hey, I told you about Jesus yesterday. Why are you not saved? Be patient with them. Let it take root. Let God work. Let's be patient. As, 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 we, as we, you know, many of us last week said that we want to commit to discipling at least three young people in this next semester. As you do that, be patient with them. They're not going to be perfect tomorrow. They're not going to be everything's fine tomorrow. I want, as, for, for the core, I want the core to be patient with you. You're not perfect today. You're not going to be perfect tomorrow. I need my leaders to be patient with me. We all need someone to be patient with us. So I think Paul is telling Timothy to be patient. But one interesting thing, as we look at the soldier, as we look at the athlete, as we look at the farmer, they all have one thing in common. And that's the soldier is driven by the thought of final victory. The athlete is driven by the vision of the crown. The farmer is driven by the hope of the harvest. All three are driven by the future. All three have the end goal in mind. All three are contending, in our case, for the kingdom. And it's not living for today, but it's living for another day. It's living for what God will do. It's living for the great and glorious day when every tongue will confess, when every knee will bow. We need to live with that day in mind today. Paul here is giving Timothy some just little tidbits, little pictures of what to do. This is, this is Paul as, as, he's, as he's finishing, as he's, as he's passing the baton. He says, Timothy, be like this. I think we can learn a lot from it. Or I think we can learn a lot more from it. I think that as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time seeing people, an ownership over seeing them come to Jesus, an ownership over seeing them encounter God, an ownership over the desire to see a move of God in our generation will grow within each one of us. I like quotes. I'm going to read this from Charles Finney. He says, When sinners are careless and stupid, it is time, for, uh, it is time Christians should bester or activate themselves. It is, it is as much their duty to awake as it is the firemen to do so when fire breaks out in the night in a great city. The church ought to put out the fires of hell which are laying hold of the wicked. Sleep? Should the firemen sleep and let the whole city burn down? What would be thought of such firemen? 
And yet their guilt would not compare with the guilt of Christians who sleep while sinners around them are sinking stupidly into the fires of hell. I believe it's Romans that says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. I hope that... <laughs>